years. And so one uh, uh, Monday morning, on his day off, you know, different to here, on his day off, the pastor felt compelled to go and knock on this villager's door and to go and speak to him. And so he trudged through the cold weather and he got to this wood cabin and he knocked on the door and the guy turned around and said to him, who are you? He says, well, I'm the pastor that has just begun here and I hear you haven't been in church a long time. Can I, can I at least come in? It's quite cold. He said, I don't want you here, but come in. Would you like some cocoa? Now, that was one friendly gesture, at least, that the pastor received. And he gave him cocoa, and they sat down, and the pastor said to him, look, I do not know you, you do not know me. Obviously, you've got some issues with the church or yourself or whatever, but I just want to, you know, I want to be your friend. And I want to get alongside you, I want to be a real brother to you. And he said to the pastor, don't talk to me about the church. I'm not interested in the church. I'm a Christian. I can handle it. And every Sunday when I hear the bells in the village ring, I go and I take my Bible and I read it. I don't need the church. I don't need you. I don't need the people. Sounds very familiar, the story, doesn't it? So what did the pastor do? Did he run away? Or does he express the boldness that there is? And he turned around and he said to the man, I'll give you an illustration of what you're saying is wrong. And he took a coal out of the fire and he put it next to the fire and he said to this man, he says, you say you do not need the church. You do not need fellowship. I want you over the next few minutes to watch that coal and tell me what you see. And the pastor kept silent. Ultimately, the coal died. Ice cold, and the pastor took it with his hand, and he said, this is you. You cannot be without fellowship. And he put the coal back in, and what happened? All of you know, the coal started lighting up again, and the pastor just turned around, walked out, and went back home, saying nothing further, trusting the Holy Spirit to work in this man's life. My dear friends, the church is God's institution. It is there because God has established it. The church is important. Now, the church is not this building. It's each and every one of us here this morning who have a, a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You and I together are the church. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. God wants his church to be built, and he's doing it. And we need to understand that. To be a member, my dear friends, of the true church is to be made alive in Christ. That is when we talk about membership. Membership is not just a piece of paper that people can fill in and say, okay, I'm now a member of ECC, but I have no relationship with the Lord. There's too many of those going around. There's too many of that dead wood around where people say, I'm a member of the church. Yes, uh, as a matter of fact, they'll even point to the area where they're a member, but their lives are empty. Friday morning, when it's time to go to church, they either come here with a hangover 
because they were out the night before and everything like that, or they come here grumpy and complaining and gossiping, and that, and they not really had, they don't have the life of God in them through Christ. You'll have to excuse me, I talk straight, okay? I'm a South African. I talk straight, okay? So you've got to understand that. Because you know why? 2017 will be filled with many challenges. You don't understand, and I don't understand what the challenges might be. But my dear friend, this is the place that God has placed you. It's in this place that you find what the meaning of church should be. You are the church. Now, it's interesting, you know, Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We as the church and the true church must understand one thing, that we meet here corporately on a Friday, and as the true church, we, re we re must remember that we are not victims, but we are students. Victims in the, uh, always blame somebody else for their life situations. Have you noticed that? But students say, I'm here to learn from God and to follow. The Thessalonian church was an exciting church family, my dear friends. If you look back at Acts chapter 17, you'll see how this church started on Paul's second missionary journey. And this church was a powerful witness. Really a powerful witness. Paul was so, 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 so fond of these people. You know, it's amazing. Paul took three Sabbaths to share the gospel in the synagogue. There was no church there, but there was a synagogue. And as Paul's tradition was, in Acts 17, you can read it. He went in to the synagogue, and for three Sabbaths, he was sharing the gospel. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit was doing his work in people's lives. There was transformation and there was revival. Went into a strange city and God brought about revival. We here in Abu Dhabi must understand the strategic place we are at. God has placed us here in a strategic area, my dear friends. There are people coming in from all over the world. They're meeting here and in the UAE, all over the world. We have the wonderful opportunity of sharing the gospel, of being light bearers, of being the church to people. And we must understand that this morning. You see, can I just turn this thing down a bit? Oh, I see. Then I can see. Okay. You must understand the doctrine of the church is found in the book of Ephesians, the epistle to Ephesians. There Paul comes and expounds about the doctrine. The, 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 the wonderful history of the church is found in the book of Acts, am I right? But now we see here in the book of Thessalonians, we see these two, uh, two epistles. We understand, my dear friends, that here Paul is speaking about the practice of what the church should be. So this morning, I want to share with you very briefly, because I can't go into all of it. I just want to share with you five hallmarks of what I believe a healthy church should be. The first hallmark of the healthy church is that a healthy church is a redeemed people. Because in Thessalonians chapter 1, uh, we read these words of the Apostle Paul. He says, To the church in Thessalonica, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace be to you. Did you hear what he said there? Or he just came through it? Listen what he says. 
the church to the church in uh, of Thessalonica in God. In God, the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So what Paul is doing is identifying, he's saying to these guys, you have a relationship with God. You are secure in your salvation because you've been saved and called by God. God chose you, he tells us in that passage later on. God chose you and called you. God brought you to himself. So this church was a redeemed church. My dear friends, redemption doesn't just happen by signing a piece of paper. Redemption is coming to God in true brokenness of recognizing your sin and knowing that you cannot save yourself. We try to do it many times, am I right? But it's God's divine calling that brings you to this place of knowing and experiencing who God is. You see, being in God the Father is exactly referring to the fact that these people were saved. The next four verses, he says, we always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continue to remember you before our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, and he has chosen you because your gospel, uh, our gospel came not to you simply with words, but also in power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. Transformed people are not people who live a light life. We are not people who take God lightly. Transformed people are the ones that live under a deep conviction, as Jesus taught in the, in the, in, in the Sermon on the Mount. True brokenness of spirit, true mourning of the heart. My dear friends, if there's nothing of that in your life and my life, and we're not broken in our spirits and mourning over our sin and all our dis, uh, dishonesty before God and before all the fact that we realize we are truly flawed. We cannot live without God. We cannot save ourselves. And Paul comes and talks to this church and shows us that these people were transformed because they had a deep conviction. They chose God. Listen, it's not that they chose God first. They were going on with their life, am I right? They were doing all their things in the synagogue having their pharisaical laws and doing all what they wanted to do. And then God comes and brings a servant there. And all of a sudden, it's God seeking after man. God seeking after man. That's why Jesus came to the world. For God so loved the world that he gave us his only begotten son, that whoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. It's God seeking, and Paul comes and confirms this. So it's important for us to remember, my dear friends, that to be a, 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 an ideal church, to be a healthy church, you have to understand what it is to be saved. You have to know that you, have, uh, you are dependent upon God for salvation. Only He can save you. ECC of Ireland has been preaching this since Matthew's uh, tenure. The first time I heard Matthew preach, it was about a healthy church. Often he mentions a healthy church. Am I right? And that's good to remind us. And I, I'm doing here this morning is I'm just reminding you, if, you're, if, you're, if you're, you're, your life with God is not right this morning, 
you will never experience true, true transformation until you come to God and recognize that you're poor in spirit and that you mourn and grieve over your sin before God because you have flawed, you cannot save yourself. These folk were saved. This was one of the hallmarks. And my dear friends, this is not just having a name of a church. You know, coming from South Africa, they have all these different denominations, you know, and they're going around, okay, with all different types of teachings and stuff. And I always was a kid, you know, as a kid, could never understand why there were so many different denominations. But anyhow, you walk into the one denomination to the other, and you, you try and find out what's going on. And you know what the guys turn around and say? Well, I belong to a church. There's the, there's the tower, because some of them have got nice bell towers on, okay, with a cock going like this in the morning. And that. Um, there it is. That's where I am. And they identify themselves with the building. That's not exactly how it works. We can't identify ourselves with a building. We are a spiritual building. We are a spiritual house brought together by God's grace and by His love for us. The question this morning then, if you and I feel, uh, want to know if ECC is a healthy church, the very first and important thing is to ask yourself the question, am I truly saved? Do I know the Lord Jesus Christ as my personal Savior? Do I have an awareness this morning that it's my sin that stands between me and God and nothing can take it away but the blood of Christ? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. He died on the cross for you. He died on the cross for me. He died, to, he died so that his church could be established. Jesus loves the church. He loves the church because he established it. None of the old things have ever worked in the past, but God is using the church. And one day when Jesus comes, he's going to come and take his church to be with him. We'll look at that bit later if I get that far. But not only were they a safe church, a healthy church is also a yielded church. I want you to understand it. It's a yielded church. Look at verse 6. You become imitators of us and of the Lord. True students are true followers. True disciples are followers. We need role models. Christ is our role model, but the church is also our role model. And Paul was the only one with that group of three going into Thessalonica. And so he says to these people, you follow me and Christ. Because why? Paul was yielded to Christ. He lived a Christ-centered life. Jesus prayed to his followers that they would live in unity in John 17. That they would know what it is to be one. Now, unity, my dear friends, is not sitting around the United Nations table trying to discuss now how we're going to handle Syria. Unity is found in a relationship. But unity is more than that. It talks about a Christ-like life. Until we understand what it is to be Christ-like, I tell you, you can try and battle with your wife, uh, 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 dear husband. Until you understand what Christ-likeness is, you're going to fight with her. Dear ladies, until you understand what Christ-likeness is and you want to try and maintain unity in your home in a forced way, I'm telling you, your kids are going to still rebel. 
It just works like that. It doesn't answer your situation. What does answer your situation is when you live a yielded life and you are Christ-like and you desire to be as He is and you live His example and you live as He wants you to live. That is why, that's what makes unity effective. It's saying, what would Christ do in this situation? What does the Scripture demand of us in this situation? How do we, how do we apply this difficult, uh, 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 get an answer or resolve to this difficult answer in our lives? My dear friends, we see here, this church was an example. They were a role model. They knew what it was to submit to God. They knew what it was to submit to leadership. They knew what it was to follow because they could see, and that's what made them effective. You hear what I'm saying to you? A church that is lived by gossip, a church that is drawn by bitterness, a church that is fed up and broken down, a church that, that, that couldn't care less anymore about prayer, there is no unity in that. And it goes right back to our salvation. It questions our salvation, am I right? And you know, there's a, many years ago, a pastor confessed uh, to, uh, to a, a, fellow, a fellow colleague. He said, I hate going to dinners with members. And the pastor said to him, why? His colleague said, why? He says, well, they only feed you up to break you down. They invite me to dinners, and my wife and I to dinners. They feed us up, and they give us the most sumptuous meal there is, only afterwards to break us down and to criticize and to say, you are not theologically correct. You are not caring enough for the people. You are not doing this for people. You are not doing that. What is your calling? I don't trust you. He says he walked out, walks out of those dinners many times, a broken man, and even harder to find peace in his heart when he knows that the church is not doing their job. They're expecting one man to run the whole show. Why? Because he's the paid professional. I've heard that over and over through my life. I'm 62 this year, so I can give you a bit of insight. Over and over in my life I've heard this. He's the paid professional. He must run the show. He must do it, and we're there to give him the hardest time in life. He says, you know, that is when he finds it's so hard to, and be, to, to, to express himself and to really Really be patient. I'm going to wild mode. You see, it is, be, it is very tough leading under false pretenses. Very tough. So many people want to be leaders in churches, but they do it with a false pretense. They do to hammer their pastors, to hammer their elders, to hammer the leadership. But you see, true True Christ-likeness says, no. I'm there to edify, because that's what we should be doing. Edifying one another, building one another up. You see, uh, uh, Paul says, I will know uh, that, uh, that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Why? We shouldn't be frightened. My dear friends, Christ-likeness is something which we should live for. When we sing, 
when we worship, when we have fellowship together, it's all for God's glory. It all to bring unity and Christ-likeness. It's there for us to live and to know that Christ is supreme and He is heir to everything because He is the head of His church after all. Am I right? Listen, you can't give God advice. He knows what He's doing. So the best answer is to submit to Him. Am I right? Submit to Him and find that He would lead you. There's two, uh, 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 two more things I'd like to share with you in closing. They were not only, were they a saved church, not only a redeemed church, not only were, were they a yielded church, but my dear friends, they were also an afflicted church. You see, in verse 6 it says, In spite of severe suffering, you welcome the message with joy given by the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 17, you get the insight to this. Acts 17 tells you when Paul ran there, and after three Sabbaths, people came to know the Lord, there was an absolute revival that took place. And then Paul left, and he went to another, another, another town, surrounding town. And whilst he was there, the Jews that didn't receive the Lord as their Savior and were opposed to the message, what did they do? They got a whole bunch of scoundrels and liars together. And they put all these scoundrels and liars together to go and, 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 and make life hard for the church. And so the first person they go to is Jason, who's got a home group in his church or a home church going there, and they arrest him and they start with their nonsense. Now let me tell you, every, every place where revival breaks out, there's opposition. Go read history. The devil will do everything in his power to kill the church. And he hasn't succeeded as yet, has he? He might think so. But be aware of this, that if you are serving God, you will also experience affliction. But how do you handle this affliction? Paul says they handled it with joy and the power of the Holy Spirit. You see what happens is, my dear friends, that is when, when I go through affliction, I say, Lord, is there anything in my life that I need to confess? Is there anything in my life that I need to make right? Lord, is, uh, is my life pure before you? Are my motives pure before you? And then you will experience and take the affliction that comes to you with joy. You see, it's not just joy of being happy, 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 clappy, you know, and do the Buddha dance and that type of stuff. It's nothing like that. Joy is centered in a relationship. Joy is centered in Christ because he becomes everything. No matter what, is the, what the devil tries to throw at me, no matter what society tries to throw at me, the Lord is in control. He is the victor. He is the one that vindicates. He is the one that gives me the strength to go through. Listen, we complain about many things, am I right? But I want to ask you this. When you read the life of the 11 apostles and their lives, do you realize that 11 of them were martyred? When you read the, the, the history of the early church, do you realize how many folk were martyred for their faith? Here we're sitting this morning, some like me, fat and overweight, having a good life, nobody coming in here and saying you're not allowed to worship. We are gloriously privileged to worship here in freedom. And yet, my dear friends, we sit and complain and moan, 
and we gossip and everything, and yet we are dissatisfied. You know why? Paul says to the Philippian church, I've learned to be content in every situation. The problem is we are not content because our relationship with the Lord's affected. There's sin in our lives. Sorry to tell you this, but that's true. There's sin in our lives. There's something between us and God. And that's why we're not contented. When David was living in sin with Bathsheba and he was found out by, 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 by Samuel, what did he say in the, in the psalm? He said, Lord, restore unto me the joy of your salvation. He lost all sense of his joy because this thing was standing between him and God. My friends, 2017, I do not know what 2017 holds. I don't have a magic wand, but one thing I can tell you this morning is that 2017, you and I together can trust the Lord to be a people. Even though we go through affliction, we do it with joy. We do it with gladness because of the Holy Spirit. Two more little things and I'll finish. The, the, for the fourth thing is, and I think this is very important as it adds to what a healthy church is, they were a missional church. They were a missional church. Verse 7 following, we read these words. Um, and, you, and so you became a model of all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Isn't that beautiful? They were missional. They understood what it was to stand out for God. They understood what it was when they were told of the Great Commission to go into the, all the world and make disciples. My dear friends, a healthy church is a missional church. If you lose your vision for outreach, you've lost everything. Then you're living in disobedience. Am I right? God wants us to be missional. God wants us to be men and women who in, in the church go out and reach into the lives of others. You see, 2 Peter tells us that God is patient with you. He's, not, uh, he's truly patient. Why? Because he wants everyone to come to, uh, uh, to come to repentance. That's the heart of God. The heart of the church this morning, ECC of Ireland, is where are we at? Have we lost sense of that vision? Has our inner struggles taken away this vision of becoming missional and intentional and becoming nurturing? Has inner struggles taken you away from that? Because it happens often, am I right? You're so busy fighting inwardly things that you forget God's purpose. Get back to God's purpose, to be a healthy church. The last thing I want to share with you is that they were a prepared church. Look at this in verse 10. We realize that if you want to be a healthy church, not only must you be saved, not only must you be healed, not only must you understand that there will be affliction, not only understand that there will be that you need to be a missional church, but that you also have to be a prepared church. Listen, verse 10 says, And to wait for the Son from heaven, whom, who was raised from the dead, Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. My friends, Jesus is coming again. No hallelujahs? No expectations? No preparedness? Are you like the foolish ladies who at same had their oil lamp, their lamps of oil not trimmed, but the wise virgins had their lamps trimmed? Jesus is coming again, 
and we should be preaching it, we should be teaching it, we should be believing it, we should be focusing on it, because this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. Hallelujah, Jesus. Are you prepared? Because you can't knock in the last minute, as you know about the banquet, the, 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 the parable about the banquet. Once that door is closed and Jesus has come, the grace period is over. You're living in grace period now. And this church was a church that was redeemed, a church that was healed, a church that knew affliction, a church that had a mission. But they were a church that had their focus on heaven. Every morning when I wake up, I go out of my house to work, and I look and I say, Lord, one more day closer to your coming. Now you say to me, yeah, but you know, we're sick and tired of that. Well, I've got an answer for you, because Scripture has got an answer for you. If you're sick and tired of hearing that, and you're asking when is Jesus coming, listen, listen to what 2 Peter tells you. You know, 2 Peter is telling you about, uh, 2 Peter 3 talks about the apostate church, where they say, for all, uh, 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 where is the promise of his coming? 2 Peter 3. Where's the promise of his coming? For all things continue as they were, and they deny Christ. Are you in that position? Do you know one thing? God doesn't have to give an account to us about when he's coming. God in his sovereignty is not accountable. You and I should be grateful that he hasn't come yet because this is a time of grace. You understand? If you turn around and see it that way, then you will say, hey, hang on, this is the time of grace. I need to get out there. I need to be working. I need to be talking to people about Christ. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. You should have that attitude, and you should look forward to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And one day when he comes on the clouds, the Bible says, it'll be as a thief in the night. And Corinthians tells us, we will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. Whew. No excitement yeah, Matthew. No excitement here? Now, I tell you, if I preached this sermon in South Africa, which I haven't, and I went to a church there, everybody would be standing clapping because they're thinking of the coming of Jesus. There's an excitement for Jesus. There's a love for Jesus. And so often, you know, we are so strained in our expression of who Jesus is. What will the pastor say? What will the elders say? What will my wife say? Understand? But there's this excitement in this church. It was an ideal church. And it was a church that was a role model to everybody around them. And my prayer this morning for ECC of Ireland is that you get back to the place of being the role model you should be. That's where you should be. Follow the role model. Follow Christ. Do what Christ demands for your life and for, our, for my life. My dear friends, and I tell you something. You will be transformed. May God bless you. Thank you for this time. Okay. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this time that I could be sharing the word with your, with your church. Thank you that as church together, we want to be healthy. We want to love you. We want to serve you. We want to follow you. So I pray now, O oh Lord, that you would come and work in the hearts of each and every one of us. And as we sing this last song, I pray, O oh Lord, that the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, will be with each and every one of us. Amen.